and I really maybe shouldn't be saying this out loud, but I think most people have the wrong idea about what their customers actually need. They have assumptions, but they haven't necessarily done the legwork required to really understand that. Welcome to episode five of season nine of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, aka Rez, helping you grow your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there, had success, and built a business designed around the life that they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so that you get notified every time a brand new episode drops. Live in the Feast is in all podcast apps. If you've heard the show before, why not leave us a rating and review on iTunes or drop us a comment in your favorite podcast app? Most of them do have that now. This season is titled Building a Better and More Profitable Business. It's all about leveling up to create a more profitable and sustainable business. Especially in this COVID and soon to be post-COVID time, I think it's so important to be able to learn from one another in any way that we possibly can. Today's co-host is Iman Zabi. Iman is a launch strategist and conversion copywriter. And in her words, she likes launches the way kids like candy or she likes cheese deeply, passionately, and obsessively. Her secret is research and lots of it. And as she shares her journey throughout this episode, you'll see how everything she does has a purpose specifically to grow the business and a way to communicate ROI. We dive into how to handle clients who don't want to do the upfront legwork and research. We dive into how she helps clients with talking about their customers, not themselves, how to re-engage past leads through email, and why having the vast majority of your clients coming to you by word of mouth is terrifying. You could find all about Iman at her website, thescribesmith.com and reach out to her on Twitter and say thanks at Iman underscore Zabi. I know you'll really enjoy this episode, so let's dive in. Are you feeling like you're in a silo all by yourself with no one to bounce ideas off of? Are you looking to get predictable revenue into your service-based business? Do you want better clients who respect you? Well, gain the support from like-minded developers, designers, and other creative professionals providing client services inside a Feast Club. Forget those stale articles from 2008 giving you advice on how to run your business. It's 2021. Join Feast Club today and get access to a community, including myself, where we share what we're working on in real time, strategies and resources that work in today's market, and ideas and support for one another in a safe place. You'll get access to a private podcast, which has bonus episodes from some of the guests in this season that you can only get inside a Feast Club. You'll also get access to a monthly one-hour virtual meetup, a private Slack and Circle community, member-only content library, access to message yours truly directly, Also, you're going to get exclusive expert workshops from folks like Kaylee Moore on pricing, Robin Kennedy on email, and Nick Gulig on sales, and so many more. 
There is no better time than right now to learn from those a few steps ahead of you and leverage your skills to help and support others to grow all of our businesses together. So if you want to check it out and join a community that's built on the saying, a rising tide raises all boats, head on over to feastclub.co today. I hope to see you on the inside of the club. Now, let's get back to the show. Hey, Feasters. Welcome to another episode of Live in the Feast. I am super excited to have Mon on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Look, this season's all about being better. How can we be better? And one of the things that a lot of us don't do well is talk about ourselves. <laughs> and so before we dive into the episode here today, where can folks reach out and say thanks and learn a little bit more about who you are? Oh, uh, well, Twitter is always a good place for that. I'm at Iman underscore Zavi. Same on Instagram. Happy to chat with anyone. Awesome. Cool. So uh, you're a conversion copywriter. Before we dive into some of these things, can can you just, in your words, what is that? What does that mean? Very simply, it's just writing words that get people to do stuff. Very, very simply. <laughs> I love that. If I was explaining it to like my five-year-old nephew, that's what it would be. But really, that's the essence of it. It's understanding what people need to hear in order to make the decision you want them to make. And that's where I think a lot of people get hung up on a copy conversion copywriting is that like it's salesy or it could be sleazy or something like that, but it's not. No, it doesn't have to be. I mean, there's definitely some very sleazy conversion copy out there. And I think that kind of gives the whole industry a bad rep, but if you do it well and you really understand who the audience is, then it doesn't have to be salesy or sleazy or gross feeling at all. It's very much about understanding their motivations and highlighting those in the product or just making that link really, really clear for them. That's essentially what conversion copy is. Hmm. As somebody that does client services, how do you get your clients to tell you what their customers' motivations are? So I think most clients, most, and I really maybe shouldn't be saying this out loud, but I think most people have the wrong idea about what their customers actually need. They have assumptions, but they haven't, a lot of them, and depending on the industry, they haven't necessarily done the legwork required to really understand that. They have their own sort of, they have hunches and feelings and like things like that based on their own experiences. But if, unless you've sat down and had maybe 10, 15, 20 customer interviews, you've done message mining, you've really taken the time to understand their perspective, you can't really say that you've done the legwork required and the research required to write too much copy. For email automation and the marketing stuff that I deal with, very similar. Like I, I need to know what each step of the way is in order to automate any of those steps. I can't really just assume that stuff. It needs to be there. So how do you position that piece of the project to a client that says, well, let's just go with this. I know that our customers, this, this is what they want. This is what we give them. Can you just write us a sales page or an email or something like that? Do you ever encounter that at all? and they want to kind of skip over that research process? Um, it used to come up a lot more um, when I was sort of 
earlier on in the journey and I was working with smaller clients, I think as you kind of start working with larger clients, they understand the importance of research. And I've seen, I've heard of copywriters losing out on projects because their research process wasn't comprehensive enough. So it really depends on the kind of client you're working with. And if you're working with a smaller client, I think it's very important to kind of articulate that guesswork doesn't get you results. And it might, it might not. But like you can't guarantee, you can never guarantee results with copy or anything else, but you're less likely to get results unless you've actually done the research and really kind of articulating the value of the research and that it's it's mostly a one-time-ish expense for that product. And like you have that groundwork of research and then you can build on it in the future. But really it's, you can't launch a product or really sell anything unless you've done that initial like work of research. Yeah, I think that that's, it's so important though. I mean, like, and I do it myself, like I launch beta programs or, hey, I had a whole bunch of past clients that I think might be interested in this new service that I'm building. And I kind of throw it out there to see if it sticks. But really, that's almost sort of like a false positive because you're getting some traction, (laughs) but it's not the actual traction that you, that would be sort of build that sustainability into that service. Right. And I mean, I think that kind of like a quick test is great to see if there's interest. Like it's a bit of a market signal to know if people would actually pay money for it. But when you're actually developing it out into a full-fledged product and pushing it out and you're putting marketing money behind it, I really think that you can't do that as like just sort of throwing spaghetti at the wall kind of process. You really need to have the research when you're doing a more full-fledged campaign of sorts. I'm a developer. I have a lot of developer friends, a lot of designer friends, uh, audiences made up of, of, of a lot of those folks. The, the idea of writing copy, <laughs> and for a long time, my website was poor. Like it was like, it looked like every other developer made it and everything else. But until I actually started to, and this was sort of the beginning, I guess, and I never really thought about it, but until I started to inject my own personality into it and really start to talk in the language of my clients, my copy was just like everybody else's. Is, Is that the beginning stages of writing good copy? It's definitely a good place to start. I think the you always want to make sure that you're speaking, the, like you're, you're using voice of customer when you're launching, when you're creating any kind of product or you're writing anything. I'm assuming the way two developers speak to each other is very different from the way a developer would explain things to a totally not tech savvy client. So you really want to have to, you have to think about it from the perspective of the client, but also think about like, why are they hiring a developer? Because they know nothing about this. Kind of what is the... What are they going through when they're hiring a developer? Are they feeling overwhelmed? Have they looked at 35 other developer websites? And how are you making it easier for them to make a decision? And if you can't articulate why you're the best choice, then there's no real reason for someone to choose you over the other. Like you may have the best skills in the world, but like if you aren't able to specifically convey that in a way that the that your client understands it, then you're likely to get passed over. Mm. It's funny that when I was working in the real world, so to speak, and sitting in somebody else's desk, my directors, my managers, they would say like, you're a unique human because you could kind of speak business and you could speak geeky all at the same time. And so you could kind of like toe the line between the developers and the business. And I didn't get that. 
until until I started changing some of the copy or copy on my own website because at the time, especially you know, decade ago when I first started, I could write custom plugins, database management, blah, blah, and the list would go on and on and on, and I could see the visitors' eyes just gloss over because they don't know what any of that means. And and it was sort of like a little bit of a mindset shift when I realized, and it was a designer that actually put me through, and she was a brand designer. She wasn't just making logos and making a website. She was building my brand. And she kind of put me a little sideways and said, hey, instead of talking about these individual features, talk about what that benefit is. Like what what does a custom plugin? What's the benefit to them? What is database? What is that? You know, and so I didn't really thought about it until then. How do you help clients explore that? I always like to I, I like to take it like a step further from just benefits. And especially if you're in a service-oriented business, I think it's more about what is the problem you, you can solve and how can you illustrate the best like why you are the best person to solve that problem. And it's really about looking at where that pain is for your audience. Like with, with my clients, most of my clients are course creators and things like that. It's getting them to survey their audience, figure out what the biggest pain point is. And like what is like the, the big burning pain point that they need solved now and that they would give X amount of dollars to solve right away. And then positioning your services as a solution to that. One of the most popular copywriting formula, and for good reason, because it's one of the most effective is this PAS, problem, agitate, solution. So you start with a problem, you really drive home exactly, like you take wor- you take the problem, then you take the worst case scenario for the problem, and then you really present yourself as the solution. And it, there's a reason it's the most popular one and work almost every single time. And when you say that you position yourself as the solution, how do you do that without explaining the features and the things that you do? Well, you can still talk about your features, but you reframe them as your benefit, as the benefits. For example, instead of I can create fancy custom plugins for you, it I can solve X problem by creating fancy problem, a fancy plugin for you. Like, I'm sorry, I don't speak. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Fancy plugins is the fancy as I can get. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's totally, yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing like that's what i had to sort of get over the hurdle like and nowadays i'm talking a lot about email automation and tying things in with zapier and people are like oh, what the heck is a zapier like and things like that and so i have to kind of try to like okay well if you want your stripe account to talk to your email marketing platform to talk to your website we need stuff to go in between that and that's what that is and so a lot of the hurdles that especially solo owned and run and operated businesses for developers and designers, marketers, things like that. A lot of the stuff that they like, hey, look, I don't write emails. I don't write sales copy. I don't write ads. I don't do any of that stuff because I don't know what to say. I don't know how to write these things. And that blank page is staring me at the face, right? And like, if somebody was to write an email to let's say a, a lead that never converted at all, you know, several months later, how would you help them to say, Hey, just re-engage them, see what they're working on. Why didn't it work out? I guess the best question is, is what would you suggest to do to re-engage that lost lead? If you would. 
Sure. So let's let's assuming they came to you for a problem and then they didn't convert and you're following up a few months later, I would start the email by checking in on that problem, seeing how they're doing on that, see if there's anything you can do to support them, and then talk maybe depending on the kind of problem it is, maybe talk about how you were thinking about this, you have a you have like an idea for them, you'd love to get on a call and chat. But key is to get them on a call and then kind of walk them through it and then pitch them at the end. Um, I really think that if you offer some kind of value first, especially when you're re-engaging, it's, it works really well. Um, and that's something that I've used in our business and it, it usually convinces fairly well. And you use just one email to do that? Or do you have a, a process that you put in place? Or For uh, neglected leads, I this is, this, is, this is embarrassing. It's cobbler's shoes, really. Um, we usually send maybe one email or two emails out to follow up on the follow-up. That's about it. Maybe we follow up maybe a maximum of three times. There's no formalized process, um, mostly because we're pretty booked out these days. So like it's just it's chasing down leads that aren't necessarily the best fit isn't very high on our priority list right now. But yeah, and I think um, communicating your ROI is incredibly important and communicating your ROI in terms that they understand. So you are especially with like automation, if you can get your Stripe account to talk to your email account to everything else, you're saving VA hours or other, like, you know, if it's a solopreneur, you're saving their time as well. So being able to quantify, like you saved X number of hours because of this. Like Zapier does a really good job of this. You get that email, I think it's every week or every month where they're like, you have X number of Zaps and they saved you X amount of time this month or this week. And that's fantastic. I think that really what you're looking for um, if you are in any kind of technical industry where people are struggling to understand the benefit, you're like, I save you time, I save you money, I save you like brain bandwidth, essentially. Oh, I like that brain bandwidth. Yeah, I mean, that that's a lot of what I try to explain on the show or help explain on the show is that it's not always, you don't have to say, hey, you give me $1,000, I'm going to give you 10000 on the back end of whatever it is. Sometimes you have to sort of translate that by what you're doing you're saving time, which means either they can go sell more, they could, when we could travel, you know, they could go to events and things like that. And then you kind of have to be doing a little due diligence to know, okay, how much per hour do they make, you know, effective rate maybe, or how many customer, new customers are they getting, not being in the weeds of their business that is new customers in, and then just do some, I always call it napkin math. Right. Like, so if you put in a thousand, like you're saying, like, it was funny. I did this experiment, I guess it was probably like four or five years ago. And I have a blog post about it, but saving on how many back and forth emails and how much time it takes to do those emails from my end to book an appointment. And so things like Calendly and Acuity solved this problem. Right. But I was just kind of curious. I'm like, how much time? And it was a little over four emails that would go back and forth and about 22 minutes, right? And so now I just send off the link and people book whenever they can. Now I don't have that extra time and effort, but now I, I could quantify what that is actually, what my monthly bill is, right? From one of those services. So I have a, I have a couple of questions in my mind, but before I do that, I always like to ask, what has been your defining moment in life so far? A hard one. That's a really hard one because um, I can think of two in recent past. One was when my mom was hospitalized and I was kind of her primary 
caretaker and I had just started this business and I just landed some of my bigger clients and I was terrified I was going to lose my clients because I was in a different country. I was paying rent in Canada. I was paying rent over there. It was a bit of a mess. So that's something that I'm personally, I think, taught me that I have grit that I can get through things because I kept the business afloat. I grew it. I hired people during it. Things were good on the business side. Things were great. So that's something that I personally think helped me develop some confidence in myself as a business owner. But I think the hardest thing that I've had to do as a business owner was um, I hired one of my best friends from college, which is a terrible idea. Never, ever do it. It will ruin your life. And I wanted to fire her for about six months. And then I ripped the mandate and I was uninvited from her wedding. Um, it was hard. It was one of the hardest things that I've had to do within the business. But I think it was, for me, really a defining moment because I felt like up until that point, I was maybe playing at being a business owner. And that's how I felt. I was youngish. I was 22, 23. And I felt like that was the first time I prioritized my business over everything else. And it felt like a big shift in myself after that. I was able to hire more easily. I could fire more. Was, after firing her, it was easier to fire other people. And yeah, I felt like I wasn't playing at the kids anymore. I felt like a grown up, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I ha I went into business with a friend of mine as well. That was the first time in the early 2000s when I was like, hey, I was laid off after the whole dot-com bubble burst and all the rest of it. And I was like, hey, I can do this. He happened to be the sales guy. Like I was the developer and we were running a business for a little while, but he also had another business and it was a brick and mortar business. Needless to say, it didn't end. I mean, it, it ended, right? Right. <laughs> but, but the thing was some of those difficult conversations that were, you kind of need to have as a professional when it's your friend, it's like, okay, well, I don't want to upset him. I know this is going to upset him. And like, it just, it complicates a lot of things and like family members, if you do that too, it's definitely, I don't know how some, some people it works for, right. But like, for me, I just, my wife is a PPC expert. And me as an auto marketing automation expert, you would think that that would be like a match made in heaven. We've never right. worked together. <laughs> right? We're just not that we don't think it would happen. Like it would work together, but she's also in a different niche than I. I'm all online businesses. She's local businesses. And so she deals with plumbers and lawyers and things like that and, and event spaces and all the rest of it. But it's just one of those things. I'm like, ah, like, you know, it's like dating in the workplace, like just not going to be good. Right. So. Yeah. No, you don't want to rock the boat. Right. <laughs> there needs to be a line somewhere. For sure. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, look, I, and I've heard you on some other podcasts and I don't know that, I mean, you, you've, you define it as grit and, and whatnot. I, I would have said climbing Mount Kilimanjaro is grit and hustle, but just in hearing some of your backstory as well on, on other podcasts that I've heard you on, from my perspective, total hustle. Like I could, I could tell that, you know, you take the initiative and you run with it. And so that was never a question in my mind. Yeah, no, I think you have to be a little bit obsessive to survive in this industry. Like you have to, you, you they're just, if you're a quitter, you're not going to really survive in this industry for very long. I think about the one year mark is about as far as you can go with like without hustle. And that was the thing for me. It was like that first time, you know, after about just before the two year mark, I had to go 
back and work for somebody, um, mainly because he worked half days. I worked full days, but there's only so many times that half days after him were going to help us grow. Right. So, but yeah, I, th- I think you do. Like I said, like one of my favorite quotes is uh, effort and attitude is the only two things that you have control over. Everything else will follow suit. Right. And so I don't come from an entrepreneurial background, but my family knows my drive and stuff. And so like, you know, my mom's, my mom's still like, I don't know what he does all day, but he's been doing it for a decade and he's got a house, a family and everything else. And he's not asking me for money. So it must be working. I would love to get my parents to that point. They still have no idea. Yeah. You write words into the internet and money comes out. Basically where they're at. I used to tell my mom, look, I make the internet clicky. Like the buttons you click on, I, I, that's all me back then. I don't design what the color looks like or the font or anything, but I make what happened goes on behind it. That's what I do. <laughs> awesome. So I always like to try to have somebody, the listener, walk away with something that they can implement, right? And something they can actually run with off of the back of an episode. Um, something that, that maybe won't take them too long, but maybe get over a hurdle that they're encountering, right? And so we, we talked about that follow up to a lead that never panned out. And you, you said that you were essentially booked, right? You, just, you got your, your calendar full. I've talked to, and it's a weird sort of time, right? Because you talk to some people and people are like, I lost, like my wife, she's lost half her clients, right? Because of the industry that she works in. But then you talk to some other folks and they're booked out solid. Like it's like two ends of the spectrum. There's no... There's not a lot going on in between. So for those that are booked out, I'd love to hear sort of what you have in place because it's nice to get complacent, right? And like say, hey, look, I got work through the next month. I don't really have to market myself or I don't have to do any outreach or any of this sort of stuff. What do you do while you're booked out to still get your name out there and and sort of be present in the market space sure so well for one i try and show up on podcasts that's always a good one (laughs) but no um whenever so we are pretty much booked out till early next year ish at this point and so for us this time goes into like fixing our internal systems because they're always like leaky bits in your funnel. So really maybe changing out your lead magnets, things like that. We're running ads now. We are, um, I'm personally trying to show up on as many podcasts as possible. We're doing guest posting. We're focusing on our blog, really everything other than like the time we would normally spend prospecting. We're really spending on things like reputation building, authority building and things like that. We don't at this point, I want to say, 99% of our leads are word of mouth and referrals. And that's terrifying. So for us, the focus is on building an engine around our client acquisition so that we are able to kind of turn it on and off as we need so we can attract those clients. But yeah, that's kind of where our focus is right now. Also just when, I guess when you're not prospecting for leads, you also have a lot of like, again, brain bandwidth to kind of think about things you can innovate in your space and things like you can kind of do Differently, last year, I think it was around this time, we decided that we wanted to create a physical product and we created the conversion kits and we pre-sold them, we manufactured, we shipped them out this year, we were on product hunt. And I think having that kind of 
space is really important to kind of find new things to do in that and stay relevant and stay top of mind, but also kind of change the way people think of you as you're not just, you're not just a service provider after that. You're somebody who's innovating in your industry and innovating in your niche. And I think that really helps you get to the point where you're booked out, helps you get to the point where you're able to try to rate beyond what you would have imagined when you were just starting out. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a great point. I mean, you're, you're using the time now instead of prospecting to lay the groundwork so that prospecting becomes easier, right? Because you have, you're attracting, you're pulling people in. So, okay, I got to ask, you're writing your own ads? <laughs> we do. We write our own ads. We have someone in-house who, um, who does our Facebook ad management. We've grown, we went from being like two-ish people towards the end of last year to a team of seven. So we're growing very quickly at this point. And so we have someone doing our ads. We have a team of writers. We have a UX designer. Um, we're building our own course platform, um, which I'm not a developer. I have no development skills whatsoever, but we're using a platform called Bubble, which is like visual development. So we're like 80% done with that. So it's been really exciting. Okay. So I got to ask, course platform. Why another course platform? <laughs> So um, I work with course creators a lot and I've seen a couple of different things in this industry. It's that good courses with great marketing teams, it's fantastic. You know, you reach as many people as possible. Great. But there's so many courses out there with great marketing teams and they're kind of being sold. And then as a consumer, I felt duped so many times that I was really frustrated with that kind of that side of it. And then also just as a course taker, I found that most courses out there are meh and overpriced so we wanted to create a we wanted to create a platform that solved a couple of different problems so we every course on terrain which is what it's called is vetted our team goes through it we have we've developed a rubric based on so many different courses that we've been through and only the courses that pass get put up and every course on the platform is marketed we market it so it costs a course creator zero dollars so whether you're, you know, Amy Porterfield, Jenna Kutcher, or you are somebody else, like just starting out, your course is just as good as odds of getting in front of the right people. And we're building in lots of neat features that I'm super excited about. I'm very excited about personally dark mode because I hate <laughs> we're having all these cool things like rich text, um, rich text notes so you can take like live right next to your video. Um, you can take screenshots, put them into your into your notes, just little bits and bobs that I think would make the course you can experience better in general i like that that you can actually take the note because <laughs> anytime i take any course i have the course open on one side and then i have notion open on the other side right and so there's always that digital notebook aspect of it i think that's cool so wait so hold on you went right past that but you said that to the course creator you market it for them so every course on the platform is I mean, we will run passport, we'll run, we'll send the email that we market it for them and we take a percentage off it, obviously. But um, up front, there's like, there's a it's $0 to host it on terrain. Yep. That could be game changing for a lot of course creators, it, myself included. It <laughs> yeah, we're hoping it will be. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'll have to take a little peek in that because... The services work for me is the bread and butter. That's what the decade long business and that's the engine that runs everything. And, you know, I have a small community. I have some courses, things like that. But the thing that I don't do well 
is really get out there and market it. I don't have any Facebook funnels. I don't have any of those sort of things. I write the emails, obviously, but I don't do any of the top of the funnel marketing that you kind of need to do. And it's really just time in the day is what it comes down to, right? And like, I'll go, I'll, I'll start on Monday and be like, okay, good. I'm going to be working on this, these three days. And then Thursday will come. I'm like, man, I hadn't even picked up that stuff yet, <laughs> right? Because of client work or a fire. So that's, uh, that's very interesting. We'll put the link in the show notes uh, for sure on that. Yeah. And we wanted to offer any of your listeners, if they get onto train um, onto our wait list, they can use the code Jason to get a hundred dollars off any course we have on launch. We're launching on October 19th and we're trying to launch with 50 of the best course creators um, courses in this industry, essentially. So if you sign up and purchase a course on the 19th, then you can use Jason to get a hundred bucks off. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. With that, with that said, like, are you, are the courses going to be like just about course on anything? It could be like knitting all the way to business or is it focused in on something? It's definitely focused on things that would benefit business owners. So we have, yeah, so we're definitely going to have things like some of the productivity and like personal development side things because I think that's as far out of the business spectrum as we're willing to go for now. But everything else is going to be super tailored for business owners. I think like alternatives right now are things like Udemy, but honestly quality of the craft and there's just everything there. So we want to make sure that when people put money into something, it's actually worth it. And we want to make sure that people aren't wasting money on it. Like within our team alone in the last couple of years, been like $20,000 on bad courses. And yeah, we just don't want that to be the case anymore. Yeah. I, I've been there <laughs> before yeah. a, an entire year before I even attempted to make a course. I was like, all right, let me take all of these courses that are flagship courses of popular people. I, you know, that's a broad stroke, but, and I was just like, ah, these are terrible. Like <laughs> go inside of there. Like where, where, where's everybody? Like, I don't know. Like all these, you hear about quarter million dollar launches and like, I'm like, Pfft. I could be the only person in this place. Like what's going on? So I, I totally get that. And that's the reason why I did that. And I, I don't even want to know. I, I could easily find out, but I don't want to know how many, how much money I've invested in courses. But I did that just so that I understood from the consumer side of things, what works, what doesn't work, what I don't like, what I like, those sort of things. And so I commend you on building a curated course platform is essentially what it is. Thank you. Yeah, we're really excited about it. Um, and since you've taken so many bad courses, if you have anything that you can kind of share about your experience and like from the from a like user experience perspective or a consumer perspective that you want to see us add in because we're still building out a few things, I would love to know. Yeah, absolutely. I have plenty of thoughts <laughs> for <Really>? sure. <laughs> Awesome. So before I let you go, the course platform we talked about, aside from that, I mean, that I guess that's sort of a play into what your strengths and services are as far as the marketing and copywriting goes. But what's up next for the next six, 12 months? Honestly, I don't think we plan that far ahead. It's been, we're very impulsive as a team. This idea came to us maybe, I want to say April. And we're launching in October. When we launched the conversion kits, uh, we decided one week before Black Friday that we wanted to create something and we created it and we launched on Black Friday. So we moved very quickly. And so it's very hard to say what's kind of on the horizon for the next six to 12 months. 
ideally, if terrain goes well, we'd be expanding and hopefully hiring comes. And I think I would eventually like to transition away from client work into managing the platform. Because I think it combines all the bits and bobs that I really enjoy about the business into one pretty neat package, I think. Yeah. 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 No, it makes sense. I mean, it's kind of what I'm trying to suss out at this point in time, my life, <laughs> my career. I got two kids under the age, under the age of four, uh, very distracting <laughs> at times. That's why they're outside now. People that are listening, you can't see behind me, but I have the windows behind me, but the, my wife takes them out when I have podcasts because who knows what mess and things <laughs> are going to be thrown in the room next to me. So, well, this is, this has been awesome. Again, can you just share where people can reach out and, and say thanks? Sure. Twitter is probably the best place. It's just Iman underscore Zabi. Well, thank you for sharing some time with us today and your wisdom and experience. I know I got a lot out of it and I'm sure the listener did as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And for everyone listening, until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. <laughs>